Welcome back to the Adapted Eye Podcast. I'm your host with the most, Armel Tala. And I'm your host on the low, Ben Smith. This podcast is focused on one thing, finding practical ways to improve your health, wealth, and happiness. As I like to say, you only peak once you stop trying. Thanks for joining us in our journey of lifelong learning. And now it's time for the next episode of the Adapted Die Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. You might be happy to hear that we're on a new book. We spent the last two months on the same book. So some of you guys might have been bored. Some of you guys might have thought it was really interesting. Hopefully we made it kind of interesting. But um, Ben, how did you feel about the last two months? I mean, yeah, we spent the last two months on two books, which was, you know, 12 Wills for Life was really good. Maybe Rethink My Life. Thinking Fast and Slow was also good, but it was just like, I think it's time for a new topic. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for new ideas. For new ideas. That's that's the whole point. Exploring all ideas. Not we, we do range. We're pretty diverse in our yeah. in our thinking here. This we is true. From psych to, you know Twelve Rules for Life is also psyched. And before that we read I even forgot all the books we read before. We read this like one. I mean, last semester we were like books about like sleep, learning, sapiens, essentialism, yeah. productivity, deep work, a lot of cool stuff. Check it out. Lot some history coming up, but today, what's the topic today in the book? Today, our book is Zero to One by Peter Thiel or Thiel Thiel. Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel. Are you sure it's Thiel? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Thiel. Okay, it might be Thiel, but maybe just Thiel. Thiel. I I honestly don't know. Whichever way you want to say it. I'm sorry, Peter, if you actually ever do come across this. (laughs) (laughs) But today, the main topic is um, the essence of startups and monopolies which he has a very interesting take on monopolies. So I'm kind of excited to share it because yeah. it really, I thought it was, it definitely changed my, I, I did not think like that at all. So no, yeah. And this is a perfect time around because we're actually working on a startup. So there's a lot to be learned here. I'm excited. All right. But to begin with, let's talk about going from zero to one. So there's two types of progress. There's vertical progress and then there's horizontal progress. So vertical progress is going from zero to one, like the book entitled, this is what we generally consider good progress. And that's creating new things. Now, horizontal progress is going from one to more, one to N, whatever N might be. And that's just copying things that work. So vertical progress is really defined as technology and creating new things. And almost like almost everything made before is technology. Like a table at some point was technology. And but when we're talking about the modern day, we're talking mainly about, you hear a lot about like more like techie. When you think tech, you think like computers and high tech robots and, you know, machinery. Um, and so a lot of times you're going to associate Silicon Valley as the center of technology. And some examples are, like I said, literally almost anything. Computers, assembly line, light bulbs, even the spoon was a technology. Now, horizontal progress, this is expanding and replicating existing technologies, otherwise known as globalization. And the one country that embodies globalization, globalization the best is China. And P- Thiel says they straight up copied everything that worked from the U.S., um, like 19th century railroads, 20th century air conditioning, internet, phones, even cities, even entire cities. And the thing is, we want vertical progress 
and we kind of horizontal progress is not bad, but we want to focus on vertical progress. Now, if you're like me, you probably think we live in a golden age of vertical progress, but Teal actually kind of contradicts this idea. He says that we are basically in a golden age of globalization, so horizontal progress. Um, and his, uh, he kind of, the way he really shows us was our like, terminology with how we develop like, split countries. So we have developed nations, and then we have like, developing nations. And um, you know, the fact that we have, quote unquote, developed nations makes us feel as if like, we're fully developed, you know, as if like, there's nowhere else for us to go. There's no and, more developing to yeah, do. Yeah, it's just like we've already, we've already invented everything. And then like, obviously for developing nations, you know, the nations like China and uh, India who are kind of, they're actually, as they are progressing, they're not making new technology, they're copying what's already existing, right? And so um, technology actually hasn't progressed that much. I think you said this, like, besides like telecommunications, like, there hasn't been a whole lot of like new tech. Um, in technology, like in the world, like it's just been like kind of the spread of like existing tech, um, and and Peter uh, Thiel makes a really interesting point um, that we need technology. Okay, the world is not defined by globalization. The world is not improved by globalization. Um, it can improve, but not like it doesn't get pushed forward through globalization. And and a really easy way to think about this is that without new technology, if everyone consumed like an American consumed, we would have massive worldwide issues right environmentally we would be it would be catastrophic we would who knows what would happen honestly like i i even like fret to think about such a scenario because it like i mean what about like the whales bro like, <laughs> you know like what, what would happen the whales like, um but his and his main point in that was that many of us think that uh globalization and horizontal progress can define the future, but that's not true. Um, what defines the future is technology, uh, creating something. It's going from zero to one. Um, and, and this has really stagnated in the past half century. And so our duty as a generation is to improve the future. Um, we must create new technology, not, ex not spread existing ones. Yep, yep, yep. And I want to say on that point that like, it's so scary to think if actually everybody consumed like Americans without some type of innovation to make energy consumption more efficient. Because you guys, I'm sorry, uh, uh, renewable energy is not actually the solution. Like, it's, it's not actually the solution. But there's some crazy really? things coming around. There's no, there's definitely things. some crazy things. But progress is not automatic. It has to be earned. <clears throat> Creating new technology is insanely difficult. You can ask those that are trying to solve some of the hardest problems in the world. And but most people sit around and think someone else would do it. And I love this, what Peter um, kind of says and what Ben kind of synthesized, saying, we expect progress, yet don't strive for it ourselves. This is not only just in terms of like large scale, but also just as yourself as a person, right? Um, but it's, ex so we should expect progress, but it's not automatic. Like you should be expecting that progress will happen because that's healthy. You want to be thinking that the future is going to be better than um, the past, but you should not expect it to be automatic. You can't sit on your butt. You have to try to contribute towards that progress in any way that you can. And a great analogy for this is like professional athletes are expected to perform um, to their abilities, up to their abilities. But just because they can perform does not mean they'll actually perform up to their abilities all the time. That takes consistency with practice, eating healthy, preparing for games and all that. And so in terms of when we're talking about building companies and, and startups is like that takes always searching to try to solve a problem um, and always trying to figure out ways to do things better and new. And so to make vertical progress, we have to put in the work. Without putting in the work, 
or simply just untapped potential. So the key point here is progress isn't automatic. We must work to fulfill it. But who is making all this progress? Well, the answer, as Mel, Mel loves this, um, the answer is startups. Um, Peter Thiel um, says that startups is where really almost all, if not most, if not all of our progress comes from. And um, a startup simply defined is a small group of people bound together by a sense of mission to change the world for the better. So in that sense, it's not necessarily someone who's, you know, creating a SaaS business or, um, you know, just starting a new business endeavor. It's a group of people um, who are actually just trying to do something for the world, not necessarily tying it to money. So um, some just really general examples would be like Google, Apple, Facebook. Those are some like places where we like generally think of you know startup Silicon Valley, like that, that tech uh, entrepreneurship. Um, but some other examples would be like the founding fathers. Like they uh, created something new with like the Constitution, and that created the U.S. today. Um, and then the Royal Society. I don't know if you all have heard of that, but it's uh, it's all about like science and like introducing new ideas. So a startup can just be any group of people. Um, but why startups? Why do startups really push forward the world? Like, why not large organizations? Why not individual people? And it's because individuals need help. Um, individuals can't do everything alone. Uh, they need multiple people. It's, it's just simply too much work for one person to do everything. And then on the flip side, um, large organizations are just, they move too slow. They're too bureaucratic. Uh, they... They're very risk averse. Uh, they're, they're often blinded by profit squeezing. And so what you want is something in the middle, which turns out to be a startup. Startups have enough people to get things done, but not too many to um, really slow them down. They have space to think, uh, and uh, they also have space to act quickly and do things that they think is in the best interest of their company and their customers. When it comes to business and startups, so Ben defined that startups because just a group of people trying to make the world better and like the founding fathers, which that is like the broader sense of the word startup that you could try to apply, at least in Peter Thiel's eyes. Um, but we're going to talk about startups when it comes to business. And when it comes to business, this might sound a bit strange to you. But if you are in business, this is also very true. Competition is for losers. Whoa, whoa, and whoa, whoa, whoa. Did I hear you right? competition is for losers. I don't know who you're trying to compete against, <laughs> but you're not competing against me because I am not a loser. And so Amer the American culture, at least in economics, like we view that perfect competition is ideal, right? And perfect competition is no firm company sells, pre um, every firm or company sells pretty much the same good. So there's no differentiation. Um, no firm has any market power. And if the market expands, new firms will enter the market diminished and that firms go out of business, right? So it's very much based that there's just this perfect amount of competition and which when there is perfect competition, no one is really that different. So an example of small businesses, turning a profit, insanely difficult, right? Dominating like the market that you're in, like if you're in Austin or whatever, it's pretty difficult. There's a lot of good places to eat and people just generally look at different cuisines, like whatever, Asian, Indian, all these different foods, like they're all just food. They're all just restaurants, right? And then <laughs> making a profit similar to tech companies, laughable and so <laughs> the point here is under perfect competition no company makes profit in the long term so to build a company with lasting values uh you don't build an undifferentiated commodity business so what does that mean what do you build you build a monopoly whoa 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 a monopoly a monopoly right so we're not talking about crony capitalism um the ones that are that try to do illegal things to, to take out the competition or that try to just like make uh, really just oversell 
a product that isn't actually that valuable. A monopoly, they create products that are so much better than every uh, than their competition that people just want to buy it. They don't want to go anywhere else to buy it. And so because of this, monopolies can set a, a value that is actually fair for what their product is and still maximize profits because they're creating something that is just so much better. It's like, what else are you going to buy? Examples, Google. You're going to use Bing. I'm sorry. I haven't <laughs> touched Bing in a while. Not a chance. Like Google has not had competition in like 20 years. Apple, come on now. Like we already, blue blue messages are green, right? <laughs> if you got a green emojis, message, emojis, we can't be do you want to see your emojis? Do you want to see the emojis? Or do you want to use that Android camera? Nah. Even though Android cameras can be nice, but the reason why they actually suck when you're talking about using them in, in social media apps is because there's so many different types of Androids that they have to like, they have to use some type of like algorithm that like makes them worse just so that it's compatible with all different phones and sees them. When you have an iPhone, it's all the same. So everybody that takes pictures of iPhone sees the same thing. Sorry, that's a little side tangent. Um, but Amazon, two-day shipping, like you don't really get better than that. So you're probably wondering the same thing i was also wondering is like aren't monopolies like evil mm, maybe <laughs> well uh theo does not seem i'm gonna stop saying theo i'm gonna say peter because i'm not sure how to say his name to be honest <laughs> um peter doesn't seem to think so um and the reason is because we live in a static un we live in a dynamic world right um so monopolies really only hurt society if we live in a world that is static or unchanging and that's because if monopoly has clear control over a market um and there's no progression at all then the monopoly is simply squeezing customers for profits but we live in a dynamic world, a world where things go from zero to one, where things are changing, where technologies um, are here. And that allows monopolies to, actually, it allows new companies to create monopolies by inventing new technology, by um, creating new things. And uh, so an example of this would be, um, he goes over how in the 1960s and 70s, um, IBM had a hardware monopoly. And then uh, they were replaced by, in the 1980s by uh, Microsoft's software monopoly, who was then replaced by Apple's uh, mobile computing monopoly. So these monopolies, while they do exist, um, it's not like they are uh, simply sucking the life force out of society. It's actually that they're creating something that is so new, so much better. They're creating something so valuable that no one else can even really compete with them, right? And the government actually knows this. I mean, he makes a really great point that, like, why do we have patent laws if we don't like monopolies? And I was like, that's kind of a good point because, like, why would we protect someone's idea if we didn't think that the idea, like, belonged to something? Like, it was worth protecting for that person who created it, right? Because when you create something that's so much better than everyone else has created, then, like, you deserve to reap the benefits of that, that idea for... I, you know, I guess, however long the government deems so. So that was an interesting idea. Um, but the, the question, going back to the question, are monopolies actually evil? Um, and, you know, I don't think so. I think that monopolies, while they do, they can be evil, you know, companies like Coca-Cola or whatever, or like they're doing lobbying, and it's like, you know, they're not inventing anything new at this point. But when you're having new monopolies uh, create new technology and better the world, um, that actually is pushing forward our economy, our society, and making us all better humans, I think. Wow. And so we have to debrief on everything we just <laughs> talked about because that is like if you that's your first time hearing Peter Thiel um, view on startups and competition, then you're probably a bit taken back. You're like, dude, is he crazy? Yeah, is he what? Is he out of his mind? What? Like he, what is he talking about? No, like literally. Um, so. What I would say is what I would say is 
there's different types of monopolies out there and uh we're speaking on the good ones and like today's world is a bit like the government is having a hard time defining monopolies nowadays because like you have companies like google facebook and everything like facebook dominates real heavily um uh, social media, Google dominates search. And to be a monopoly by definition is like you have to control like 50% of the market share and then like um, more than 50%. And then you're kind of like considered like a monopoly. But also the older definition is that um, that you also are like hurting consumers by like your, you know, you since you dominate the market, you set the price at whatever you want to super, super maximize profits. But that's a bit different when you're talking about like Google and Facebook. And when you say Apple, like you, you made yeah. a little argument about Apple, but with nowadays, it's those companies give the um, their services for free to consumers, and they charge advertisers, so they're charging other businesses. So like the government right now is having a really hard time dealing with like the new companies that are like are, are modern monopolies today because it's like, well, they're not hurting the consumer; they're actually helping the consumer a lot. Yeah. Like you're getting to search and use all types of you know social medias all for free. So like it's this like weird point where it's like okay how do we now define what a right. monopoly is? Although if you're someone like me who takes their privacy pretty seriously and also doesn't like social media, you might be saying that like you know uh, like just being on Google or social or Facebook all the time like you know they're tracking you and like maybe you think you know it's like it's like is it really for free or is it like are they just taking advantage of like you spending so much time on their services? So it's like there's definitely two sides to the debate. But I'm so like I'm actually. I'm on the very much side. It's like, just let these companies be. Because to me, when you say like... Disclaimer, he works at Google. I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> An intern there, but I, I don't have... I don't, they don't... They didn't give me any stocks. I don't have any uh, ownership. That's true. That's true. But um, like to me, it's, it's like you're getting that service for free. And it's like, well, they should be... Companies should have been more clear about what their actual business model is so that people understand. And like, obviously, like data protection and privacy. But what... To me, it's like, what are you putting on on those on those sites that like you you are scared to you know if it's something that like that important you should not be putting out there. And also, it's like, well, what they're doing is trying to optimize what advertiser, what ads you should be viewing. It's like, is that is, is that so evil? <laughs> like, is that like the worst thing that you could experience from being able to search anything on the <laughs> internet for free? Is that oh my god, no, they're tracking my data and giving it giving it to advertisers. Now, I see the real problem when it comes to like data breaches. Like you guys understand, I'm a big web three supporter and advocate about decentralization, owning your own data. So like I'm on the side of that. But what I'm saying is like people sometimes to me, like people overdo that point mm -hmm. and it's like well, one, you still use it, so it's not that big of a concern to you. It's, it's in, you, you just want to be a part of a crowd that's like, that, like everyone wants to be anti-establishment. And then two, it's like, I'm sorry that you now get to see ads that might be more relevant to you. It's like, <laughs> I, I don't know how to view it. I don't know how to view it. I understand the data breaches, and I understand like, you could actually be making money off of it, though. That's why I'm a big supporter of Web3 is because you can take that data and then you can say, hey, company, if you want to use it and give it to advertisement, you have to give me a bigger cut of what you guys are actually char charging the advertisers so you as a user can actually get paid for it. So, like, there's two sides of it, but mm -hmm. I think people overblow it sometimes. Yeah, and, and I think we kind of got off on a tangent. I think his big point was just that, like, a lot of people think that, like, monopolies are anti-capitalism you know it's like it's like the antithesis of capitalism but really and he, he makes this point and it really blew my mind it's like 
capitalism actually incentivizes monopolies in a lot of ways, right? Like capitalism, the structure is that like, if you create something that's so much better than everyone else, you get the rewards of that. And it's like, that's what a monopoly is as far as what we're talking about. You know, of course there were old, you know, they had like a bunch of antitrust laws and all that stuff back in like the, the 19th like the century. Rockefeller yeah. days. It's because companies were, you know, there were, you know, like doing weird controlling yeah. the market buying everything and gouging like raising the prices right. for doing absurd like reasons very shady things right but now it's like well yeah apple's phone is just way better to me like i, I don't really want to use the, are they, am i blowing a bag on it like yeah but like it's kind of worth it to me like so it's kind of like the, capitalism and monopolies are like they're not two separate ideas like monopolies are an embedded part of capitalism in a lot of ways i thought it was really interesting on and like one thing on that point is that capitalism keyword capital you want to accumulate capital right and it, it blew my mind when he said like perfect competition means there is actually no profits and i was like that makes sense and so therefore like like you said capitalism doesn't incentivize monopolies because if you want to play the game of capitalism you're trying to accumulate as much capital as possible getting um making sure that your profit margins are good so you obviously will try to build a mon- you should be trying to build a monopoly it's like it's such a counterintuitive thing but it's so ingrained in our society mm-hmm. about competition and this is this this point he made absolutely blew my mind and he was saying like we're conditioned into a competition like culture right like the education system gives us grades and ranked us based on our potential and this quote right here like game changer Higher education is a place where people who had big plans in high school get stuck in fierce rivalries with equally smart peers over conventional careers like management consulting and investment banking. For the privilege of being turned into conformists, students pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in skyrocketing tuition. Like, think about that. Hip hip hooray. <laughs> like, you're just, like, it's, it's crazy when you put in that sense, like, we, like a lot of people in high school probably did have big dreams and stuff. And then they mm-hmm. go into the workforce, they go stay, well, like, they go to college and they realize how smart everyone else is around them. And maybe they get shot away from like, you know, continuing those big ambitious dreams, but then they just become fine with being like, you all, yeah, I'm already here and I can get a really good job. And it's wow. Yeah. And one, one quote thing that he said that really hit me and just to get some context for this quote, he, uh, Peter went to law school, um, and he really wanted to get a clerkship for the Supreme Court, one of the Supreme Court justices, um, and he didn't get it. Um, and then he mentions this quote after like talking with a friend, you know, um, some years later about how things turned out for his life. And he says, "Had I actually clerked on the Supreme Court, I probably would have spent my entire career drafting other people's business deals instead of creating anything new. It's hard to say how much will be different." All re- and then he says something else on the end of that. Because um, he was a Rhodes Scholar, which is just like as a scholar in the law school, I guess. And he says, all Rhodes Scholars had a great future in their past. And I was like, wow. Like, a great future in their past. Like, that, that just hit me. Because I was like, how much potential are we wasting trying to kind of find the certain path in life? Trying to find, like, that 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 job that, like... I'll get this job and like, I'll be set for my life. And it's like, I'll just do this. And it's like, that's cool. I'm not like shitting out, but it's like so many people think that's like the end all be all in life. Whereas like we fail to like take that uncertain road of like, let me go build something, start something, be creative. Like it might not work, but like, what if it did? Like that could be more fulfilling too. Yeah. And you can always keep that job and still fulfill your dreams. And that's why people, even if you do have a good, like solid nine to five job, you should be looking for ways to, you know, do things on the side that you're really passionate about, you're really 
um, you really think could be big because someday it could. And then you could, you know, leave your nine to five and really work on what you really want to work on. But with that being said, let's get back to the topics of monopolies. Now, when it comes to startups, like evaluating startups and evaluating high growth uh, tech companies specifically can be difficult, right? So how do you actually evaluate them? So like when a perfect example we'll use is like Twitter, um, Twitter's IPO in 2013. So in 2013, when they IPO'd New York Times and, and Twitter, like they were roughly about the same size in terms of maybe like uh, the amount of people that work there. Um, and they like both gave news relatively. Like I honestly use Twitter as like my news feed, to be honest, sometimes. Um, actually, it's the only where I get news. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big shift. I think I use it sometimes. Actually, it's the only place I get it from. Besides podcasts. Um, it's it's my it's like one of the main stores. Uh but so but Twitter at that time, 2013 when they IPO'd, like they IPO'd, went public, they were losing money. The New York Times earned $133 million. Now, Twitter's valuation is twenty-four billion. When they IPO'd, it was twenty-four billion. The New York Times valuation, you guys want to guess? Two billion. One company's losing money worth twenty-four billion, one company's making money worth two billion. So why is Twitter, why was Twitter valued so much more is because a great business is one that can endure in the future. So we think long term when we're thinking about investing. And so more specifically, the value of a business equals the net value of its cash flows, the net value of its future cash flows. Jeez, let me say that again. The value of a business equals the net value of its future cash flows. So Twitter is expected to generate, like in simple terms, like Twitter is expected to generate more cash flow in the future than uh, the New York Times, which means it gets a higher value because investors think long term. So the takeaway here is a company's value is its value for the future, not its value in the past. So you got to think, will this company be around in a decade? Because you must think critically, like you don't, you won't get any stats or numbers. Uh, you just have to think through and really almost kind of predict the future. Now, when thinking about companies that dominate, like, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Apple, like that, it, it, you know, we can think of a few, but it doesn't seem like there are that many monopolies out there. It doesn't seem like there, you know, it just seems like we're all in like this nice equilibrium of the economy. But um, Teal makes this great point that like our uh, most businesses are fall on one side of the extreme or the other in the sense that either they are in perfect competition pretty, or very close to it, or they are um, essentially a monopoly and that. Most businesses, it's very binary. It's like there are very few businesses that are in between. Um, and it's like, if this is true, it's like, why don't we see the economy that way? Like, why don't we actually see monopolies for what they are or businesses that are in perfect competition for what they are? And it's because both, like, both types of businesses don't want you to know what type of competition they're in. Like monopolies don't want you to know that they have monopoly. Because obviously very bad if the government knew that. (laughs) Exactly. And then it's like, if a company's in perfect competition, it's like they're they're kind of struggling to get any hold of the market share, like all other um, businesses in their market. It's like, they're not going to tell you that, um, that like they're in that competition, they're going to be like, oh yeah, no, we're, we're way ahead of everyone else. Like we're the best. Right. And so just to give some examples of this, um, Google, we all know Google owns the search engine market, right? Like, you know, if you use Bing, like good luck to you. Wait, um, tell them the percentage. Cause I don't even, I don't even know this percentage, right? But, but it's absurd. Yeah. According to Forbes last year, I just pulled this off the internet this morning. Um, they, they, they own 86.64% of the search engine market, which is, just utter domination like that is like 
supreme domination as far as a market share in business. Like that's insane. For context, like Apple, I think Apple owns like a little bit over half, maybe like 60% in the US, in the US, but like they don't own like that much of the market when it comes to like smartphones when it comes when you're talking globally. So it's crazy domination and it's like clearly Google has a monopoly over the search engine market, right? But you don't only really hear Google saying like we're competing in the search engine market. Like what do you hear? Well, let's just expand um, our horizons as far as what Google's quote-unquote market is. They might say we're, a, we're in the online advertising market, or they might expand it further, like, no, we're in the U.S. advertising market, or even more, we're in the global advertising market. And then it's like, well, how much of the global advertising market does Google own? 3.4%. Boom. Not a monopoly. Wait. <laughs> so what monopolies do is they try to disguise themselves as like not being a monopoly by expanding the market that they're in and being like, you know, like Google's like, we're a tech company. Like we own, you know, 0.2% of like consumer tech products worldwide. And it's like, yeah, worldwide consumer tech products. Really? Is that even like a, a like a, a real market? Like it, it is, but it's like, what? Like so you can't broad. even, it's so broad. It's like, what does that even mean? And it's like, so they, they just widen the horizons of what their market actually is. And on the flip side, just real quick to give you an example of, um, small businesses that will say, you know, we're not in perfect competition. Um, or even startups do this. And the reason why mm -hmm. startups lie about the competition is to obviously get investors to want to really fund them. Exactly. And, and, and what, um, you know, gives us an example about a British restaurant in, in Palo Alto, which is just a, a city in California. Um, and he's like, you know, if you're trying to start a new British restaurant in Palo Alto, you might be like, well, you know, we're starting something new. Like, there's no British restaurants around here. We're like, we're creating, you know, we're going to capture the entirety of this market. But then you might step back and ask, like, does anyone in Palo Alto eat British food? Like, is that actually the market they're in? Like, if I'm going to go eat food, do I only consider British food or do I consider like all the foods? Or it's like, is it just people in Palo Alto or is it like the surrounding restaurants around Palo Alto as well? So it's like when you define your market at the intersection of, you know, a very niche uh, kind of description, it's like, yeah, you quote unquote own the market, but it doesn't matter if that market doesn't exist. So little, little tidbits on uh, how to see if a company is a monopoly or perfect comp in perfect competition. Yeah. All startups be like, we're in a league of our own really not cap <laughs> yeah. but how do you actually become a monopoly and how do you actually get to tell the lies that hey we're not a monopoly and you don't have to tell the lies of hey i'm in i'm on my own league i'm in a league of my own like how do you actually create a monopoly and put yourself in a league of your own well there's a couple traits that you need to have to actually really create a monopoly and if you have one of these um more likely if you have all of them it'll be great but number one is proprietary technology. What does that mean? It, it means it can be defined as a product that is difficult or impossible to replicate. For example, Google search engine, uh, Amazon's distribution network, and then also Apple's operating system because iOS, macOS, beautiful. Chef's kiss. And so how much better does it actually need to be than every other product to be really considered a monopoly? Because you see products that are like, oh, we're like a little, you know, we're like, 25% faster than this. Like, no, we're talking 10x. You have to be, your technology has to be 10x better than the competition in order for you to really have an advantage here in technology, in your technology to be considered a monopoly. And so again, same examples like Amazon, they offered more than like 10x the number of books when they first started than an actual bookstore could hold, right? And then PayPal, because uh, Peter Thiel is a founder of PayPal, uh, they offer 10 times a better solution for buying and selling 
uh, goods on eBay. And then Apple, when we're talking about Apple, the thing that makes Apple different is their design. Like the iPad, they absolutely revolutionized the tablet market. Like they actually created the tablet market. If you use a tablet, you really more likely have an iPad, no matter what even PC you have. So if you want to make a monopoly, one of the first steps is, is your technology going to be 10 times better than the competition? The second thing that uh, is really interesting is, is actually network effects. Um, so defined simply, um, network effects uh, occurs when a product becomes more useful as more people use it. Easy examples of this would be uh, you know, Facebook. Like more people that use Facebook, the more benefit you get from connecting with more people on Facebook, right? Because it's like a social media platform. Um, same thing could be said of things like PayPal or Venmo where it's like the more people that I can pay the more people that join Venmo, the more people I can pay using Venmo and the better value that I get from having Venmo. So it's like these companies that have really strong network effects, um, they incentivize people who aren't using their product to use it. And that also makes it really strong to break away from those products as well. Because it's like, well, I don't want to get off Facebook. Like everyone I know is on Facebook. So it's like, it's hard to get away from. Um, but one paradox with this is that uh, to actually execute this, um, for companies that do have good network effect um, potential, uh, they still must start small, right? If your company needs everyone to join for it to be useful, or like a large, like a lot, a lot of people, it's gonna fail because no one's gonna join unless they have a good reason to join and benefit right now. So if it takes you know a million people to join your platform before it becomes useful, no one's ever gonna start using it, and you'll never even get off the ground. Um, so that's one of the, like the more interesting things. And just as like context, uh, I think Facebook started at Harvard. It's just like exclusive Harvard people could be on Facebook, and then like I don't know. It, it's like you start small and then you grow outward. And so the next step or the next part of your business that you can do, and this is what Amazon. This is the approach that Amazon has, right? So if we go back, proprietary technology. Google. You can think Google is like a great example. Their search engine absolutely is just amazing, right? Um, when you talk about network effects, that's Facebook and also LinkedIn because who would mm, you connect with? That's on a good LinkedIn? example. Like who would you connect with on LinkedIn if there wasn't, you know, there's a, it wasn't a lot of people to connect with. Um, the third is economies of scale. And this is Amazon. You can think of Amazon in this. So this is defined as as you produce more, fixed costs are spread over a large number of goods. So an example here could be like a lemonade stand. It cost me $100 a day to like rent out the space for, you know, your lemonade stand. And you sell 100 lemonades in a day. That means $1 from each lemonade that you sell has to go towards paying the lemonade stand. Now, let's say you uh, sell 1,000 lemonades in a day. Only 10 cents from each lemonade needs to go towards paying for the rent and the setup of that stand. So scale, uh, scale this up to like large companies that are selling millions of products you can start to save a lot because when you're buying a lot of these products like Walmart, Amazon, like you're able to get them at cheaper rates and then also the fixed costs become spread out over um, all the goods, right? And so some bad companies, some like examples of com companies that don't scale are brick and mortar businesses, right? And for example, let's use like yoga studio, a yoga studio. So each yoga, like if you want to open up a new yoga studio in a different location, this requires managers, instructors, materials. You have to practically spend all the same money that you did to start up your first yoga studio to the next. And this is true for most um, traditional service businesses, restaurants, and everything like that. Just scaling to amount of people is just going to cost you more, right? But 
the best types of uh, businesses in terms of scale are software companies. This is Twitter, Facebook. This means that the more people that you can get on to use your service, it doesn't cost you anything more. So the so software is very replicable and it's super highly scalable. The last thing, so there's four, um, the last thing is branding. Um, and simply defined, branding is just a uniquely strong brand or culture around a company. The easiest example for this is by far, um, to me at least, Apple. When you think of Apple, you think of uh, you know minimalistic designs, you know high attention to detail. It's a premium good. It's a, they have exceptional advertising, and of course, Steve Jobs. Um, as a side note, I'm reading the biography of Steve Jobs right now. He's pretty. He's an interesting dude. A little quirky, but interesting. A little rude. A little definitely a little rude as well. But you can read the book and decide that for yourself. Um, and so the thing with branding is that it, like with especially like with this example with Apple. A lot of those things we mentioned, except for Steve Jobs, um, can be pretty easily like mimicked. Like I can charge a premium, you know, price. I can give a lot of attention to detail. I can do these things, but there's still something different about Apple. Like Apple is still, you know, they have like this idea of like think differently, like be creative. Like you know, it's very artistic. It's like it takes a long time to create a brand like Apple's brand. And so, just to recap real quick, our uh, our four things that make a monopoly a monopoly. Um, or the things that propel them the most are one, proprietary technology, two, network effects, three, economies of scale, and lastly, number four, branding. And Apple is a great company because it has all of these. Like one, um, Apple's like operating system, like that's proprietary technology that's hard to replicate. Two, their network effects. The more people that have iPhones, the more blue messages you can send, right? <laughs> number three, economies of scale. They sell a lot of phones, and it probably reduces the price of each phone they sell. And then number four, branding. They have probably the best branding for any company out there. So this is something, if you can get all four of these, set. maybe you're building a trillion-dollar company. But how do you actually start in building a monopoly? Because there's, you can't just wake up one day and be Apple, Google, or Amazon. You need a number one, start small. So begin in a small and niche market. And it's much easier to dominate the small market compared to the large market where there's going to be a lot of competition and it's not very a good place. You don't really know where to start because like every problem that that um, needs to be solved in that market is already probably being solved because it's such a big market. An example of this, like PayPal started off by specifically serving um, power sellers on eBay. And these are people that were selling a lot of stuff on eBay because they needed a better payment system. Because what used to happen is that you would have to send a... Uh, like the way people would get paid on um, eBay was they would have to actually get a check from whoever they sold from. And so eBay just made it where, hey, you can get paid instantly. And the thing is, eBay did not still, did eBay, um, I said eBay, PayPal did not start with everyone in the United States. Like they started specifically with power sellers on eBay. Then once you found that niche market and you, and you found the, that people really, really need um, your solution to their problem is you got to start scaling up now. Right. So once you find that market, slowly expand. And this is this is an art. You can't you know, this is a very underrated skill. Like some people try to scale up too fast, but you need to scale up properly. And examples is like Amazon started with books and then they expanded into CDs, videos and then software like AWS. And so and just continuously adding more and more. But over time. Right. And last but not least is don't disrupt. You want to create a monopoly here. And if you want your path to become a, a monopoly to be easier, 
you don't want the big boys to be having their you know crosshairs on you right so what does disrupting mean it means creating new technology that steals or decreases market shares from an established company and this is really bad because most people think like most people are obsessed with like ooh i'm i'm making a disruptive company it's like are you making a disruptive company as in you're going to try to take down some established company or are you making new technology that's just going to shake up the world, right? You want the latter. You don't want the former, right? And so uh, disrupting a market draws you a lot of attention. And like I said, established companies will start coming after you. And a great example of this is Napster. So what Napster was is like back, I don't can't remember, it was like early 2000s, like maybe 90s or something. Um, it was this company that allowed you to like, you would download like music from like iTunes or whatever, and then you would able to actually send it directly to your friends so they wouldn't have to pay for it. Obviously, this made the music industry very upset because if you can just download one person and share it with everybody, then no one needs to actually, only one person needs to buy the song. So they obviously got taken down, had a bunch of lawsuits with the music industry, and they have a bunch of lawyers. So you don't want that. You should be creating a new industry, industry, not trying to overtake an existing one. And so Peter Thiel has a nice quote for this. He says, if your company can be summed up by its opposition to an already existing firm, it can't be completely new and it probably is not going to become a monopoly. So again, seems contradictory, but we want to create a monopoly. Wow. That was, that was a lot. Um, definitely a lot to like unpack there. Such is good there information. A... No, definitely. Like, I read, I guess it's specifically like I'm at the stage, we're at the stage where we're trying to build a startup. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's just like, ah. It's like, ah, thank you, Mr. I, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Thiel. Thiel. Mr. Thiel. 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 Whichever one you like. <laughs> but I think, okay, so one of the, just when we go back to like the lies, like what, uh, the lies that monopolies and competitive people make, like that was such a good point. When he said it, I was like, that's true. Yeah. Like, you're just like, oh it was my like, God. it was like, yeah, that's, that's obvious. Like, yeah. how did I not like notice that? But like, yeah, that's true. It's like, no, you're not going to lie about that. So I like, and especially just, you know, hearing like, you know, Google come and be like, yeah, it's because they're going through so much like antitrust, which is just meaning like they're being um, investigated as a monopoly. They're just like, no, like we do, we're, we're competing against um, Apple when we're making phones and tablets. We're competing against on, um, advertisers, the Super Bowl, you know, we, we, we try to get ads, Facebook. Like, we have all this competition from all these directions, but it's like, what is your core business? That is search. And so, that was really interesting. And then also just like competitive, like, people that always lie and like, we're so different, like, startups like, hey, we're solving this problem. It's like, there's already five startups doing the same thing. You're yeah. Doing. It's like, just because you defined it differently and like this like weird, like, intersection of like three niche markets doesn't mean that like you're going to blow up. It just means that like your market probably doesn't even exist, actually. <laughs> that's, that's probably what it means. Like, you defined it so small. It's like, is there actually even anyone in there? Right. But um, I thought one thing that was really interesting, this is a little like off topic, was um, this is, he says that in business, money is either an important thing or it is everything. And for, no- for monopolies, because they can set the price, money isn't everything. And so then you get companies like Google and their motto is like, don't be evil. And it's like, that's a great motto, but it's like the mom and pop, you know, small business restaurant down the street, they don't have the leeway to be like, don't be evil of course like they're you know uh, well they're probably a family-run business or whatever and like they're, they're not but it's like when you are in perfect competition it's like your margins are so razor thin that like you don't have the leeway you don't have the luxury of extra money to like pay your you know your employees as well as you may have liked to right so it's like monopolies actually allow for even um better 
treatment of uh, employees and customers if the leadership chooses to. Yeah. And obviously, like I really want to make clear, you don't want to be building crony capitalism type of monopoly. Don't want to be screwing your customers over because at the end of the day, your customers are who are the like they're the blood of your you know the life support of your company and everything and so just really want to make that clear because it just seems it's just kind of wild you're like it is wild don't create a monopoly and then also another thing that that he mentioned that was really interesting was a lot of people in business think about like first mover advantage is like super important like if i'm the first person to like figure this out like i'll be set like i'm just good but most of the times, like, Apple wasn't the first company to, like, really make computers, right? Um, Apple wasn't the first company to make phones. Amazon wasn't the first books on, like, probably wasn't the first online bookstore. And they weren't the first, you know, everything store, like Walmart. Our Walmart was the first, right? But they just did things better. They just did it a lot. lot. Like, they came into the market but with the greatest development, with the great, with the best, better technology than the existing people in that market. So, it is good if you can actually be the first and be the best to do it if you're the first and the best super big like you you know you have a super advantage in that um in that point as well like google wasn't the first to make search engines they just made it a lot better so even if you're even if you are last in your market but you can think of a way to make your technology make your product just so much better than everybody else's that's in that market then you still can be a monopoly. You don't have to be the first to be a monopoly which i thought was like a really good um point he made out it's like you don't want to be the first, you, like being the first isn't the goal, but it's a nice tactic, but it's not a goal. But if you can be the first with the first with that type of technology, you're set. Yeah. And it's like the way he said that, like being first is not a goal. It's a tactic. And it's like the goal is to like the goal is to make the last great development in the market that no one, you know, it's like if you make the last great development, who's competing with you? no one right it's it's like it's just pretty much just you it's like it's google's on an island of its own it's like no one's competing with google in search engine it's like it's just not it's not really happening you know so right. that being said y'all thank you guys for listening it's been a great episode new books we're gonna try obviously maybe if you uh noticed the uh format of this episode is a bit different you know, we went through the information that me and Ben just kind of rambled and we went through some more information. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to pick books, like pick just like the core ideas of like a book. We're only going to do, we're going to keep it at two um, episodes per book. So there's not going to be a month anymore. I'm um, at max. If a book is like, has that many just great ideas, it'll be three, but it's most of the time it's going to be two, two with this format of giving you guys information, kind of just talking about it because we felt a bit robotic in our last uh, episodes. And yeah. And also we're still going to have the discussions where we just, you know, talk more, probably even talk more about like our startup and maybe even try to like compare it and see. Um, so yeah, with that being said, do you want to go through this recap? I know it's a lot. Yeah, there's lots of recap. So I'm going to break this down real quick for y'all. Um, so we started off with the progress. We have horizontal progress and we have vertical progress. Horizontal being creating more of what's already been created. Vertical being creating something new. So creating new technology. And we need new technology because without new technology, we cannot actually improve the world. Um, we need new technology to really push us forward. Um, continuing on, progress isn't uh, automatic. It's, it's earned, right? We can expect progress, but we still have to go and create that progress. And then going on 
further, we have competition. Oh, sorry. The movers of the world are startups. So startups are really uh, the small groups of people that create new technology. Um, and then in that, uh, you want to be shooting for no competition. Competition is for losers. You want to create a new market, create something that's different, that is so much better than everyone else's, that you create a monopoly, which paradoxically could be good. Uh, we think so, possibly. Um, and then ending off with what makes a monopoly, our second half. Um, hold up one second. Let's see, yes. Um, monopolies are valued by the cash flows in the future. Um, it doesn't matter how much they've made in the past. All that matters is how much they will make in the future. Um, monopolies often lie about when they're monopolies by hiding their market. And then people in perfect competition do the same, but the opposite by saying we're in a league of our own. Um, monopolies are pushed forward. They are created by proprietary technology, network effects, economies of scale, and lastly, branding. And then to create a monopoly, you want to start small, scale up, and then the last thing is don't disrupt. I hope you enjoyed that little recap. That was a lot for me. Man's about to just pass out. <sighs> but now it's time for my favorite part of the episode. Quotes from Armelicus Melius. Every moment in business only happens once. The next Bill Gates will not build an operating system. The next Larry Page or Sergey Brin won't make a search engine. And the next Mark Zuckerberg won't create a social network. If you're copying these guys, you aren't learning from them. He started, that was actually in the intro chapter of his book, and that hit me. Yeah, that really that's did. like his opening line. Like, it's like, you're right. Like, I gotta, you know, like, I wanna be as great as them, but I won't be them. I'll be Armel Tala. We'll be, it'll be Ben Smith, you know, we'll be great people, you know. So, last but not least, because, you know, competition is for losers. Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Really just saying there is no such thing as a good loser. You are just a loser. Competitions for losers. Build a monopoly. Honestly, I think he might be a sore loser. But that's just me. Yeah, no. Nah, I mean, you could be a, a peaceful, respectful. You know, when you lose, you know, shake people's hands and be gentlemen about it. Um, but you're still a loser. <laughs> so <laughs> You still uh, took that out. You still took the L. So, um if we're competitive, baby, you don't want to do that. But you guys, thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, make sure you guys like, subscribe, share, leave us a review, please. Uh, check out clothing brand in the link below. Check out the social medias. Till next time, peace.